When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. It's time for the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors. I'm joined by Ross Merlin, Investment Director of AJ Bell. Uh, we're going to discuss the world of investment from a UK perspective, but perhaps in this instance, it's more of a, a world perspective. We're going to uh, look, are we not at, you know, what the Middle Eastern conflict might mean from an investment point of view? Um, I mean, people might yeah, think callous, but you do need to. From an investment point of view, that's a very narrow point of view compared to what's going on yeah, in the real ab- world. And absolutely. There are much more important things going on than, than share or asset prices. But, you know, for better or for worse, we're here to talk about markets. So we'll we'll, we'll stick to that. But, yeah, there are clearly many more important things going on than what we're going to talk about for the next eight minutes, hopefully useful as it is. Um, and so what one study that we've done, we've, we've just looked at, 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 at prior um, conflicts, um, I, I guess, once of a better turn of phrase. And as a history student, it, it, it's something that you know, kind of resonates with me a little bit anyway. So we've looked at all the way back, anything that was you know, really since the history of the old share, FTSE all share in 1962. So you've everything from the Six Days War in 67, so Yom Kippur in 73, Afghanistan, the Falklands, Gulf Wars, 9-11, uh, uh, and now this. And I guess, again, from the narrow perspective of, of, of assets, it's it's relatively reassuring that actually, although what happens is frightening, that one, hopefully there's a relatively speedy resolution, and, and two, from the very selfish perspective of assets and share prices, the effects actually don't seem to be that long-lasting. So look, looking at all these conflicts, there's eight or ten of them since 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 62 the FTSE all shares actually up by around 4% on average in the 12 months after the outbreak of hostilities, which I, I guess you can argue comes back to that story that's that quote that's always tagged on to Baron Nathan Mayer Rothschild, though he always denied the end of cannons and sell on the sound of trumpets. I mean that you know, and he allegedly said this just before the Battle of Waterloo, when reports were coming back that it was going badly for the British and very well for the French. Um, but the th- the theory behind that is you buy on bad news because it means assets are cheap, and you sell on good news when everybody's cheering and everything seems fantastic. Um, and I guess you can argue that so long as there is the longed for and hope for speedy resolution, then if there is a, a, a sharp jerk with downwards in asset prices, it, it can rather callously, you can argue, and, and, and rather than caringly, be quite a good time to buy. But again, there are much bigger, important things going on, which we'll, we mustn't forget. The exceptions were the Russian invasion of the Czech, what was then Czechoslovakia in 68, when they kicked out Dubček, because that felt like it was an escalation in something that was bigger and could become wider and nastier, given the Cold War was still running very hot. And the one that is the real exception to the rule when there was a sustained fall for a good 12 months afterwards and longer was the Yom Kippur War of 1973. And that was really because there was 
economic support provided by allies on both sides, and it, it did become bigger. Um, and as a result of that, the Arab oil exporting nations imposed an embargo upon Israel's Western allies. Oil prices trebled from $4 to $12 a barrel. That sparked inflation and really forced interest rates up on both sides of the Atlantic, um, a situation that was then further com complicated by the Iranian Revolution of 1979, which cut oil supplies. And so UK interest rates peaked at 13% under Tony Barber in 1974, and then 15 and 17% under Denise Halian and ultimately Jeffrey Howe. Uh, and in the US, interest rates peaked at, I think it was 11% under Arthur Burns, and then 165 and 19% under Paul Volcker um, to try and get inflation under control. So this is why oil markets, sorry, stock markets, financial markets, selfishly are looking at this conflict, particularly through the prism of the oil price, which has so far been relatively muted in its response. Aaron, um, Leviathan, Tamar has been shut down, uh, Leviathan hasn't. But at the moment, there is no implication, suggestion that allies will be joining in militarily or financially or economically. So the spread so far from the selfish perspective of markets is relatively concerned. That's helping oil stay calm. And that's what's helping markets stay calm. But if you do see, you know, the configuration expanding, which we don't want to see for more important reasons. But again, for that would potentially be negative for oil or help oil prices go up and, and be negative for markets. So a short, contained, hopefully peacefully resolved conflict, best news ever for many reasons, but for also for the selfish reasons of financial markets as well. Okay, let's pause just for a moment. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose in conversation with Russ Mulder, AJ Bell. We're looking at um, what uh, conflicts uh, around the world have meant for markets in the past. Um, Russ, I mean, many commentators have, have been worried, not only just now, but, but uh, over the past um, couple of years, that um, America's pulling back from being the world's policeman, as it used to be called, is leading to more political instability around the world and that um, perhaps we wouldn't have had uh, Ukraine, we would not have had Hamas being so emboldened. Um, uh, so many things can possibly go right back to perhaps to Obama saying, you know, um, there were red lines in Syria, which he then ignored. I mean, are, are, given that and given that looking at markets, we now have a world completely awash in debt, problems with inflation everywhere, but at the same time, while central banks need to raise interest rates to get inflation under control, the more they keep interest rates at a <laughs> uh, currently a heightened level is going to mean that the debts are going to be more and more unsustainable. Are we, are we not at a dangerous point at the moment, or you think I'm worrying unnecessarily? No, no. I, you know, I, I mean, I'm always conscious about the markets like to climb a wall of worry. So, you know, we, we, mm -hmm. we, it doesn't always pay to, to overdo it in that respect. But I think and I'm not a geopolitics expert, but certainly America's withdrawal from Afghanistan may have emboldened other actors. I think that's possible. It's certainly the case of Ukraine. And as I understand it from reading, you know, people like Ian Bremmer, whose work I really, really like, I really, really rate, for example, um, that, you know, the, the prospect of Israeli-Saudi diplomatic relations continuing to improve 
may have prompted, may have been a factor in Hamas's thinking. There were clearly a lot of suffering on the ground about which I'm sure they were extremely unhappy, but that may have been a a, a bigger factor. And it certainly seems as if that's currently on on, on the back burner. But But yeah, America's, now whether it's American unwillingness and kind of quite isolationism, as it were, and a reversal of globalization, or it's just financial necessity, is, is an interesting question. We we've discussed this before that American tax take is roughly five trillion US dollars a year. It's currently spending. Th- that's when the economy is going well, and it's currently spending three trillion dollars on welfare, a trillion dollars on defense, and a trillion dollars on interest. And I haven't mentioned anything important like education yet, or, or indeed many other things for which federal tax dollars are, are are required. So heaven help us if the US economy hits the buffers and tax take goes down, which, you know, it's already sagging. Um, so this is a challenge. And, and I think this does also speak as, you know, to the to market nerves about rates staying higher for longer. Now, I've heard one, strategy, one or two strategists refer to a table mountain pattern in US interest rates. Up, flat, for a, bit, for a good bit in a, if you look at the chart of the Fed funds rate back to 1970, it's never happened. Yeah. So it would be an odds buster if you're a you know if you're a gambler or a punter, you would view that as a, as a, as a long shot. Uh, and frankly, given that that US interest rate bill is running at a trillion dollars a year now annualized on a 33 trillion dollar debt, that's before that's that's an average rate of what three percent in a bit. Fed's funds rate is five and a half. America's got to refinance half of that government debt in the next two years. So the rate on the face of it is going up. So the Fed's gamble really is it can get inflation down quickly and cut rates quickly before governments and corporations have to refi. Mm-hmm. If they have to refi at a much higher rate, that will be extremely uncomfortable. So if I was, you know, to say what are the chances of higher for longer, I, I'm actually not convinced. I think the rhetoric is tough and tough rhetoric is needed to try and soothe the bond market. Uh, about inflation, so, but on the other hand, the, the Fed doesn't want to overdo it because it will choke off growth through higher interest bills, and and that's why there's that old quote from Ruby Dornbush about, you know, no U.S. economic upturn since the Second World War has died of old age. They've all been murdered in their beds by the Federal Reserve. Yeah. So the Fed is boxed in on one half by on side by inflation, and on the other half by debt. I'm not a necromancer, but if I was forced to guess what I think might happen. Um, my my rather dull crystal ball would suggest that we won't get higher for longer, because at the first whiff of any crisis, the Fed will, you know, historically has has cut rates and has e- and even returned to QE. And although I think they'll need a pretext for it, I'm sure they can find one, and they'll probably take their chances with inflation and start to cut rates, and maybe even going back to to QE if they had to, because the one thing they can't afford is deflation. You know, if you look at that, they need cheap debt, and they don't, and they need debt demand to continue to grow. Debt demand stalled out in 2007 to That was the great financial crisis, a massive cardiac arrest. So if I was forced to guess, we won't get higher for longer. Whether that's brilliant use for equities, well, in theory, lower rates on cash, lower bond yield is good. But if you look at how the US, you know, what you've seen when the Fed's been cutting rates before, 2003 and 2007 to didn't help equities for a bit because the economy had rolled over. So we may need to be a little bit careful what we wish for there as well. Russ, thank you very much indeed. That's Russ Mould, Investment Director of AJ Bell. And that's it for this edition of the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.